Welcome to the Pastor Nick Santo Podcast, a podcast designed to help you live closer to Jesus. We hope that God uses it to encourage and empower you in His plan for your life. Now let's get into today's content. If you have your Bible tonight, you could actually open it to the book of Romans. I know we're studying Acts, but tonight we're going to be in Romans, so you can open to Romans. If you are here tonight and you don't have a Bible, the ushers are coming up and down the aisles right now so that you can grab a Bible. If you just get their attention, they will pass one off to you so that you can follow along with us. Um, let's do this. Let's go ahead and, and just pray. Let's ask God to, to bless our time in his word, and then we'll get into the message. I am doing something quite ambitious tonight. Um, we're going to go through uh, five, six, seven, and 8. Romans 5 through 8, but we are not going to read every word. That would be uh, very impossible. Um, I, you know, every week I, I tell you I'm going to be short, and, and every week I really believe that I am. It's not, I'm not lying to you, but I, I figured out actually why, why it always runs long. And, and here's what it is. It's, it's really not rocket science, but, um, but the way I think, the way my mind works is that I think a thousand words per second especially when it comes to like the Bible. I'm not like that with everything. And some things I think really, really way too slow. But with the Bible and putting together a message, I think a thousand words a minute. So I see people ask me sometimes, how long does it take you to put together a message? And sometimes I'm, I'm, I'm embarrassed to say how short of an amount of time it is sometimes because I, I do a lot of it internally and, and it happens very quickly. So I think, well, this is just a very simple message because at a thousand words per second, I could get this out in like 15 minutes but I speak about a hundred words a minute. So, so it, it gets very long, you know, and I, I re, I'm realizing this. So I'm trying, um, but in order to keep it in time tonight, obviously I can't go line upon line through the passage, but, um, but it's important passage and you'll understand why in the context of the life of Paul and, and what it means to be devoted to God, which is our purpose. That's what we want. So let's just pray and then uh, we'll get into it. So Father, we thank you tonight that uh, you are with us, Lord, and that you do want to speak to us. And we thank you, Lord, that we are adopted sons and daughters of you, that we're joint heirs with Christ, even as we sang, Lord, in this, the worship session tonight. Lord, we're reminded of that glorious truth. And, and Lord, you, you talked through Jude about the common salvation. And Lord, we've received this amazing gift. And you raise us all in such unique ways, but in a common path. And so tonight, Lord, as we look at uh, what holds true for every one of us and how you cultivate and develop us. We ask, Lord, that our hearts would be open to have wisdom, to understand, Lord, what you have done in our lives and what you are doing in our lives, and, and that you would give us a sensitive and soft heart to be in submission to your Spirit's work in us today, Lord, in, in the season that each of us are in. So would you please, Lord, open us up? Would you pour out your Spirit upon the truth that we're going to hear of, Lord, and would you help us to receive it? and to walk in your joy and in your, your call upon our lives. So we just ask these things tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I remember early on as a Christian, one of my teachers used a phrase that uh, stuck with me. It helped me to understand the Bible and how it all fits together as one message. Uh, very simply, he just said that the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed, and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. 
And I loved that phrase, and I never forgot it because it's always helped me to understand how it's all one book, even though sometimes the Testaments can seem so vastly different. But the the idea behind the statement is that hidden inside the stories and the concepts that are recorded in the Old Testament are uh, the truths that are explained plainly in the New Testament, you know, so just as an example, as it applies to where we're studying right now, uh, there's a passage in Leviticus chapter 19 that God told the children of Israel that when they came into their land, the promised land, and they would plant trees in the land, he gave them instruction and he said that for the first three years, you're not to harvest anything from off of the trees. He said that the trees are, are like uncircumcised in their fruit bearing in those first three years, you're not to eat any of it. And then he said, in the fourth year, all of the fruit from those trees is to be dedicated as an offering to the Lord. And then in the fifth year, now it's yours. And then he gives the reason at the end of the passage, uh, simply saying to them that it may yield to you the increase. All right. So God says that the reason for this is so that it will enable and facilitate, it will help in causing the trees to bring to you the most that they were designed uh, and that they can potentially bring to you, okay? Now, the reason God says that they were to do that was to cultivate and foster the full health and the full development of the trees for future fruit, all right? Now, that was what he said in the Old Testament concerning trees, but, but the, the Bible isn't so much given to us as a, a book of how to, you know, cultivate trees, that was a spiritual principle concealed in something that we interact with every day. And so the spiritual principle behind that picture is not what man does for the trees, but really what God does in us, okay? Because in the New Testament, man is likened unto trees oftentimes. You know, um, Jesus used that illustration and, you know, we're called that in certain, certain ways, all right? So what God is saying is that essentially like he plants us as these trees and that there's the season early on in our development where even the fruit that comes out of us is kind of like uncircumcised fruit. It's kind of like, it's sort of like almost off limits fruit. And then there's a moment where our, our lives are kind of fully dedicated to God on maybe a, a deeper level. And then, and then from there, there's a fruitful abundance that comes out of us that is the benefit of all. And the idea is that there's a process wherein God cultivates what he wants to bring out of us in terms of what is going to be our future fruit. There's a season of cultivation that happens in our lives through the way that God works in us, okay? So that he can bring out the best and the most out of our lives in, in our futures, all right? Now, we're studying Paul, and we're looking at the way God dealt with him from the time of his conversion and now into the time of his cultivation. So we're studying Paul, but we're currently in a section of Acts where Paul isn't really mentioned much at all. It's really three chapters, chapters 10, 11, and 12 of the book of Acts. Paul's story started in 9, and it'll pick up again really in 13. But there's this segment where he's kind of off the scene. He's kind of invisible. There's three chapters where he's not there. And the reason for that is because he's being cultivated. 
God is doing something in him. There's a season of his development where his fruit is kind of uncircumcised. And God is developing him. He's building him. He's sowing into his life. And he's bringing things out. And he will ultimately be cultivated. And he will be very fruitful. But there's a very strategic and intentional work that's being done inside of him. Now, last week in our study, we looked at Peter for the sake of a contrast. Because Peter is what Paul will be, but is not yet. And so what we saw in Peter's testimony last week in Acts chapter 10 is we see what a cultivated and fully developed, devoted follower of Jesus looks like. And we saw these things in Peter. We saw that he has experience with Jesus. There's a history and there's a background and there's a relationship that's been developed. He also has a connection with Jesus. He's someone who checks in throughout the day continuously, and he's in fellowship with him. There's a conversation in his life, a prayer without ceasing. Peter is connected to Jesus. We also see of Peter that he's sensitive to Jesus, that as Jesus speaks to Peter, Peter's Peter's able to hear him and comprehend. When God gives Peter a vision, Peter is paying attention to that vision and able to receive the instruction that it brings. We also see that Peter is pliable, that he's still soft. His heart is soft in the hand of Jesus. And as Jesus is able to speak things to him that may be difficult for him to receive because it seems contrary to anything that Jesus has ever spoken to him before, he's able to receive it because he's still soft. And we also saw that Peter is obedient, that he will do what Jesus asked him to do, even if it's difficult or uncomfortable, or he's uncertain if it really is uh, what's right. He's willing to do it. And so we saw that in Peter. And so we see what a devoted, cultivated Christian looks like in Peter. But this week, as we look at this segment that Paul wrote, we're going to look at how it happens and why it matters. How does one become cultivated to the point where they are like Peter was in the segment that we saw last week? How does that come to pass and why does it matter? And so the segment written by Paul kind of answers that question. Now, tonight in our study, I'm going to ask and answer three questions all right, concerning this in this segment of scripture. Number one is how does it work? How does spiritual cultivation work in the life of one of God's own? Question number two is what is my part? What part do I play in this cultivation process? And then question number three is how am I doing, (laughs) all right? How am I doing in this whole thing? How's my progress? How's it going for me, all right? Now, we know of Paul, historically, that he's one of the most amazing minds that ever has, has been given to humanity, all right? He has the ability to put things into words that no other person can put into words and in a way that is clearly communicated and understandable, And years after Paul goes through the process of being cultivated by Jesus, he puts pen to page and he describes how God does it. He gives a thorough explanation of what happens as God cultivates spiritual life inside of us. And so in Romans 5 through 8, in those chapters, four chapters, 5, 6, 7, and 8, we find three things. 
we find an explanation, that is Paul explaining how it happens, then an action or an activity, something that we do because we play a part in it, and then finally an assessment, that is a, a way that we can measure, we can look at the scripture, compare it to our lives, and actually see if we are being cultivated and how far along our process is. And so I want to give you just a little bit of background because we're jumping into uh, Romans right in chapter 5. So just so you understand the context through which all of this is, in chapters 1 through 4 of the book of Romans, it's a letter that Paul wrote to a church in Rome. In those first four chapters, the Apostle Paul describes what it means to be saved or what it means to get saved, all right? And essentially, what it means is to trust Jesus, trust in Jesus, that is his perfect life, his substitutionary death, the fact that he was sinless, but then he died a sinner's death, and then his resurrection power And it's to put my trust in what he did in living a perfect life that I couldn't and then dying a death that I deserved and then resurrecting back to life again and putting my trust in what he did in order to substitute my sinful position for his righteous action. That's what it means to get saved. And what happens when we get saved is that we receive, and I want you to listen to this phrase because it's very important for our study, is that we receive from Jesus an imparted righteousness. In other words, it's not something that we earned, and it certainly isn't something that we deserved. It's something that's imparted. It's given to us. He produced it through his life, death, and resurrection, And now he offers it to me in exchange for my sinfulness. And when I receive that exchange, I become saved. That's what it means to get saved or to be saved. Now, if you're here tonight and you don't have that, you don't know what that, you've heard that term before, I know you have, but you don't have it. That's, this is the most important part of this message for you to hear tonight, that that's what it means to get saved to trade places with Jesus, trading your condemnation for his righteousness. It's a gift of God and it's given to you. Now, if you're here and you're not saved, I'm glad you're here. I respect that you're not saved and I'm glad that your heart is open enough to be in this place tonight to even investigate and think through uh, these things, that your heart is open, okay? But getting saved is just the beginning. And if you're here in that position tonight, you're about to find out what happens next (laughs) after you get saved. So once you get into chapter five of Romans, the apostle Paul begins to unpack what imparted righteousness, there's the phrase again, what imparted righteousness means. And so what he does in chapter five is that he builds a framework for a point that he's going to make all the way up through verse 17. He builds this framework and then he makes his point in chapter five, verses 18 and 19. And here's his point concerning this imparted righteousness. I'm going to read from verse 18 of Romans chapter five, because this is Paul's point. He says, therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation, speaking of Adam's sin. He says, even so by the righteousness of one, that's Jesus, the free gift came upon all men 
unto justification of life or forgiveness of sins. For as by one man's disobedience, that's Adam's sin in the Garden of Eden, many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one, that's Jesus, many shall be made righteous. Okay? So here's essentially what he is saying. Here's the point that he's making as he builds up to it in chapter 5, is that when you were born physically, your birthday, the day you came to be, came into existence in this world, in a hospital, hopefully somewhere, when that happened, all right, you received an imparted condemnation. All right? You didn't choose it. You didn't even deserve it yet. You didn't do anything right or wrong. You were born as a descendant of fallen Adam. And therefore, when you were born into this world, you received an imparted condemnation at your physical birth. And that imparted condemnation brought something with it. It brought with it an imparted sinful nature. And that is the reason why we sin. We sin because we have a sinful nature, because we have an imparted condemnation that came with our physical birth. That came through Adam. We inherited it. That was our physical birth. However, when you put your faith in Jesus and you make the exchange, my guilt for his gift, and I exchange places with Jesus, you now receive from Jesus an imparted righteousness. It's given to me. It's through what he did on the cross. Just like what Adam did brought condemnation to me. I didn't deserve it, but I got it. And here I have it. And now I deserve it because I lived according to it. But now because of what Jesus did, when I place my faith in him, there's a imparted righteousness that's given to me. And that imparted righteousness, listen, comes with an imparted new nature. So the imparted condemnation brought a sinful nature. The imparted righteousness brings an imparted new nature. Are you guys with me? Okay. All right. Now with that new nature that he now brings inside of me when I put my faith in him, I am now equipped for a higher life. I'm equipped to live in a higher kingdom, a new kingdom, according to new principles and ways. I have a whole new operating system that's been brought into me because of what Jesus did for me and what he imparts to me through that righteousness. Now, in this impartation of a new nature, there's a tension created in my life. And the tension that's created is that I have a leftover problem still inside of me. I have a new imparted righteous nature, but I have a leftover sinful nature that's still inside of me that hasn't been removed. It's still there. The remnants of the sin life are there. We got this cat like back in April, and it's the best cat in the world. I mean, I think a, I think a dog could put this cat's head in its mouth and this cat would not attack the dog. It's just the, the, the nicest cat on the planet. We love this cat. And, and when we got it from the SPCA, it was about a year old. And when we asked why the cat was there, the, the, the person just said it was an owner surrender. That's what they said, owner surrender, which meant that the owner surrendered it for some reason. We were like, huh, can't figure out why. All right, we found out why. All right, this cat 
has a problem called ovarian remnant syndrome, okay? Which means that when they spayed the cat, a little piece of ovary got left inside the cat, which is enough to throw the cat into a heat cycle, all right? So the cat went into a heat cycle, and we found out why they brought the cat back, all right? Because this cat was unbearable for like a week. It was awful. It was disgusting. I mean, it was terrible. And we endured it, and, 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 and it kind of went away, and, and it hasn't come back yet. It hasn't happened again yet. But we saw what happens when a part of the old nature gets left behind, all right? And, and, and there's something that happens in us. We have a new nature that's imparted to us, but we have this old nature remnant syndrome, that we all experience that there's something of the old that's still inside. And so the problem is that we have two opposing natures living in the same body, all right? And if you know Jesus, you understand what this is like. You know that you have the ability to be amazingly Christ-centered one moment and then ruthlessly self-centered in another moment. And you go, how is that possible? You know that you can be heavenly-minded completely in one moment, and then you can be completely earthly-minded in another moment. You can be ashamed of your past and the things that you did in your past in one moment, disgusted by them with regret. And then in another moment, you can be allured by the things that were in your past and even have affection towards some of those things. And you think, how could there be such a dichotomy inside of me? You can have it sometimes a deep drive to want to be pure, to want to be free of sin and full of light. And then at another moment, you can be drawn so powerfully to what defiles you. And you can wonder, why is this happening? And you know that one of those things is going to develop you for the higher kingdom, and the other one is going to keep you bound in the lower. But both of those things exist at the same time this dual nature that's inside of me, okay? Now, let me pause for a minute, and I want to elevate and expand your understanding of the sin nature. Now, let's talk about the sin nature for a minute. Because when I say those words, when I say sin nature, all right, usually our mind goes immediately to kind of like the worst thing that we have in our life. You know, the most malignant, the most destructive pattern or, or thing that, that we struggle with. That's what we think of when we think of the sin nature. But let me make it a little bit bigger for you because when the Bible talks about the sin nature or, or the flesh or the part of me that relates to this world, what it, what it actually is speaking of is everything that relates to living in the realm and the values of this fallen world system. That's the sinful nature. Everything that relates on an earthly level. In other words, if you're in your flesh, you don't know Jesus, you just have a sinful nature, then that includes even the way you look at people. You look at people from an earthly vantage point, a sinful vantage point. The way you measure success, the way you expend energy, the things and the way you place value on things, the way you define purpose, the way you set goals, the way you build a legacy. If you don't have the new nature, then all of those things are a part of the sin nature and therefore they are looked at in a very specific and particular way, okay? So the sin nature is only earthly. 
and it is bound by the world system and the world's expression, right? That's the sin nature. Now, when Paul gets into chapter six, so we already made it through five, we're doing okay. When Paul now gets into Romans chapter six, in verse two, he asks a question. Here's the question that he asks. He says, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? In other words, if you have died to the sinful nature because you've been born after the likeness of Christ, then why would you want to live any longer according to the sinful nature? That's a very logical question. He says, don't you know that as many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, watch this, even so we also should walk in newness of life. All right? So he asks a question, should we still live according to the old nature? And then he gives an invitation. He says, no, 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 no. You can have newness of life. You can live in a whole new realm. And so that's the, the invitation. Now, what does it mean to walk in newness of life? It means to be equipped for and invited into the higher kingdom and the life that was provided through the death and resurrection of Christ. And when you think about the vastness of it, that's actually quite a huge thing. God's kingdom, God's spiritual invisible realm that is so much bigger than this world ultimately is the reality behind all reality. In other words, we think that what we're doing right now, that this is reality, that the physical is, is what's real, what you can touch and see and, and understand and perceive, like all of this in the world, this is reality. But, but no, once you realize that this is not reality, there's a reality behind the reality. That's why when Jesus said, when you pray, say, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because everything that happens in the earthly realm is just a reflection of something that's going on in a spiritual realm that you can't see and understand. And we catch glimpses of that all throughout the Bible from the beginning all the way to the end, that this is the lesser reality. The greater reality is in the spiritual realm. And newness of life is an invitation for you and I to live in that space. We have been equipped by God through the blood of Jesus and by the baptism of his spirit to live in the realm of a higher kingdom to live according to a new life that is not like the lower life that we experience down low. And the goal and the prize of being cultivated in a spiritual way is to learn how to live and thrive in that space. Are you still with me? Okay, so the question then that remains for you and I is how do I learn a whole new operating system later on in my life? I was 19 when I gave my life to Christ, which is relatively young, all right? But I still had 19 years of developing the operating system of the lower nature in this world before the new life was imparted to me in Jesus Christ. How do you learn a whole new operating system later on in your life, all right? Well, Paul's gonna explain that. And he starts with a fact in Romans chapter six, verse seven. Here's how you do it. And here's the fact. And, and you guys are going to have some serious homework because you got to go through and read Romans 5, 6, 7, and 8 after, after the fact. I'm having mercy on you here by uh, bringing you to the peaks of the mountains. But watch verse 7. Here's the fact. He says, for he that is dead, 
That is that you are no longer in the old system, but in the new. He that is dead is freed from sin. In other words, it's not that you will be free. It's not that you can be free. It's that you are free. If you've been given a new nature by the spirit of Jesus that now lives in you, you are no longer bound to live in the lower realm. You have been made free. That is what he is saying. Okay, so that, that's an amazing promise. It's a gift. How that we that are dead to it live any longer, we should live in newness of life. That's what he gives to us. Now you're free. You're not under sin's authority. You're not under sin's compulsion. You're not under the dictates of sin. And so he follows that in verse 12 with a command. The fact is that you are free. The command is this. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. In other words, you have the choice whether you're going to yield to the commands, dictates, desires, and demands of the sinful nature of the earthly way of living, or whether you're going to yield yourself to the other. He says, don't let sin reign over you. Don't let it define you, all right? Now, I want everyone in, in this room to do something right now, just to make sure you're still engaged. I want everyone to, at the top of your line just shout the word no. no. Okay, good. You all have the hardware already installed in order to do this successfully. All right, do it again. No. Good, you could do it, all right? Now, not, not, not only are you to say no to the sin nature, but watch verse 13 now. He says, neither yield ye your members, that is your body parts, your life, your mind, your will, as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members, the parts of your life, visible and invisible, as instruments of righteousness unto God. Okay, so instead of yielding to the sinful nature, he says instead yield to God. That is be ruled and controlled by what God says. Now I want everyone to do this. I want you to top of your lungs, shout the word yes. yes. Okay, you have all of the hardware right now that it takes to be cultivated and to grow spiritually. Now he gives you these options and then he gives a declaration in verse 14. He says this, for sin, that is the sinful lower nature, for sin, the rules of this world, the values of this world, sin shall not have dominion over you for you are not under the law, but under grace. You're not under the bondage of the former things in the world, but you are under grace. You're set free from them. Now let's apply that declaration to the higher definition of the sinful nature. It's not just the most malignant, most destructive habit that you struggle with in your life, but it's everything that defines the way this world relates to itself. So that means the way you look at people, the way you look at yourself, the way you measure success, the way that you set goals, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, the very way you think, you are not bound by what the world says is the way that it must be. You are set free from that. It shall not have dominion over you. And you're not to yield to it. You're not to give in to it because you don't have to. It doesn't have authority over you. 
but rather you have the authority to yield to what God says about all of those things and to live in that space. And it is an infinitely greater space. He's saying essentially that you have authority over your submission. Think about it. It almost sounds like an oxymoron, doesn't it? You have authority. You do. You have authority over where you submit. Look at verse 16. He says, don't you know that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants you are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. In other words, you are sovereign over your submission. You can live in this realm or you can live in his realm. It is your choice. You have the call. God has given you the power to make that decision. Okay, now I wanna, I wanna show you for a moment, just how powerful you actually are. Maybe you're not appropriating that power, but you are a very powerful person. I'm going to read a series of statements right now. Now you're gonna see me reading them because I wrote them down, all right? But I want you to shout yes or no based upon what's most true, all right? You just shout, and, and there's no judging, you know, you just shout what is most true, all right, based upon what you know, all right? Yes or no? I am capable of knowing and loving God. God can love me. I can know what's true. My life is worthless. I'm unimportant to God. I have nothing to offer the world I'm in. I'm expendable. People cannot change. It's impossible for me to experience joy. I have problems that are impossible to change. I need something to help me to relax or relate to others. I might as well not try. I'm just going to fail. My life is ruined and can't be fixed. I cannot forgive those who've hurt me or wronged me. I'm incapable of being pure of heart. I'm incapable of being whole. Just a few more. I am too old and too weak to lead a nation out of Egypt. My army of 300 could never defeat 100,000. If I take on that giant, I'll die in the fight. If I step out of the boat, I'll be swallowed by the waves. Now, if you're living in the realm of the sin nature, then the answer that you would rightly give to every one of those questions would be the exact opposite of what you shouted out. And you would be right. Because in the realm of this world and under its world system, you would be bound by what we experience and feel and go through in this world every day. And those things would be true. You would try and you would fail. You would step out of the boat and you would sink. Your life would be ruined and defined by the things that you did in your past because that is what this world does and what it holds you to. But in the new nature, you already know that none of those things are true of the negative or or to the positive, depending on where it goes. Because once you're set free from living in the lower nature, you are no longer bound by the rules of that nature You're bound by what God says. And what God says 
is that he raised up Jesus from the dead, and he that raised up Jesus from the dead, nothing will be impossible to him. And so therefore, our lives with a new nature are not defined by what the world says is true, but rather by what God says is true. And Paul is saying that part of this cultivation process is learning how to receive and appropriate what he says as truth and not what the world says or my sinful nature says or my past says or even my experience in the fallen sinful world says. What God says is true. That's what he's saying. Okay, so here's the conclusion that he comes to at the end of chapter 6. In verse 20, he says this, For when you were the servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. He says, you were, you were bound under the old system. So therefore, verse 21, what fruit had you then in those things whereof you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. In other words, before you knew Christ and all you had was the sinful nature and you were bound by the world's laws, what fruit came out of your life? How successful were you actually? How joyful and peace-filled were you actually? How much truth and light and joy and experience, how much was there thriving in your relationships and in, and in your inner person? How much was there actually? He says, no, nothing. And he says, I know because I was there. But on the other hand, verse 22, but now being made free from sin and become servants to God, you have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. Holiness we know what it means. It means to be sanctified and set apart, but holiness results in wholeness, W-H-O-L-E. And what he says is that when you live according to what God says, now your life is made whole and you're given eternal life, everlasting life, a new quality of life. That's the conclusion. Now he gets into chapter seven and I'm not going to read any verses in seven. So we're just flying tonight through all these, these things. Okay. In chapter 7, essentially, what he says, and you can read it, you'll see it, is that the struggle, the war, the battle between the two natures is very, very real, all right? The new nature that comes from Christ and the old nature that's born according to the condemnation of this world, those things are both in us, and they fight with each other. And he explains it. He says, we have a sin nature and we are inclined to live in the lower existence. And it's true. I mean, the world is familiar to us. The, the senses are very tangible. It's familiar. It's compatible with our environment. And, and we're inclined to live in that space. It's easier to live in that space. But the new nature calls out from within us and calls us upward. It calls us to go up. And that's what we're called to. And what Paul says in chapter 7 is, listen, it doesn't happen in a day. And it doesn't happen without a fight. And it doesn't happen without help. But you can go from living according to the old nature to being cultivated and living out the expression of what it means to live in the newness of life, as he calls it. And so now we come to chapter 8. And we're still in the explanation, by the way. We haven't gotten to the activity yet, but here it comes. In chapter 8, the first four verses... Paul summarizes his conclusions, all right? Then in verse 5, which is where we're going to start, start uh, reading our text, in verse 5, he gives the action. What is my part in seeing cultivation take place, in growing up in the spiritual existence and leaving behind the old sinful nature and old sinful realm? Look at what he says in verse 5. 
He says, for they that are after the flesh do mind, mark that word in your Bible, in your head, in your memory, do mind the things of the flesh. They think about, they internalize. But they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. Now pause right there because he's going to use a new word in this passage to describe the old nature. The new word is flesh. Everybody say it. Flesh. Okay, the flesh, that's the physical. And that's the part of us that relates to the old system. And so the, the, the old, the new word to describe the old nature is flesh. And then he uses a new word to describe the new nature. He uses the word spirit. Everybody say it. Okay, so you have the flesh, that's the old nature. And then you have the spirit, that's the new nature. All right? And now what he's going to do is he's going to bring the action of what we're to do into the realm of our thoughts. Did you see the word in there? The word mind? He says, for they that are after the flesh do mind. They think about the things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit do mind or think about or internalize the things of the spirit. All right? It's in your thoughts. And then he goes on to say, verse six, for to be carnally minded, to be thinking of things in the world's rules, in the world system is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind, the fleshly mind, is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can it be. So then, they that are in the flesh, living after the flesh, living according to the old nature, cannot please God. But you, Christian, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if so be that the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if any man does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, then the body is dead because of sin. That means that the chain of bondage that holds you under the grip of the world's rules, that that body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness, because of what Jesus has imparted to you. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken or enliven or energize your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwells in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. In other words, you don't owe yourself one to live after the old nature. For if you live after the flesh, you will die but if you, through the Spirit, do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. Okay, so here's what he's telling us to do. Here's the action, and here's where it begins. Is that the first thing that you do, if you want to live a spiritual life in the newness of life, if you want to be cultivated and matured and grown, and you want to become the most of what God wants to bring out of your life, the first thing that you must do is you must install a thought filter. You must install a thought filter and learn how to label your thoughts because your thoughts can either be in line with and tracking with the things of the world, or they can be in line with and tracking with the truths of God, the truths of the world, which are actually lies, or the truths of God. And your mind has to be able to determine between the two. You need to ask yourself every time you have a thought where that thought is coming from. Is this thought true of who I am or who I was? 
Is this true of my past or is this true of my present? Is this true of who I am outside of Christ or is this true of who I am in Christ? Because a thought will come into your mind and say, you are an addict. And if you don't label that thought and say, well, that might be true about what I was or what I am in my sinful nature, but that is not true about what I am in Christ because he says that if you know the truth, the truth will make you what? Okay, so what he says about me in him is very different than what my flesh tells me what I was before I knew him. And so I need to label that thought. Okay, because the thought's going to come into your mind that you're a terrible mother. You're a terrible mother because you don't measure up to what you think a, a good mother is or what you've seen in someone else. You got you to gotta grab a hold of that and say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Wait, is that maybe true of what I was or is that true of what I am? Is it different? Do I have to receive that? Do I have to take hold of that and just say, okay, well, that's just true about me. I might not be there yet. I might not be a perfect mom, but he is in me. He makes all things new. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So I might not be finished yet, but I cannot be branded and labeled as a terrible mom because of what I think. I'm lazy. I'm a lazy person. I'm lazy. I'm just lazy. That's my problem in life. I'm just lazy. That thought comes into my head. I'm just lazy. Wait a minute. Is that true of who I am? Or is that true of who I was? Because it might be true in the world. That that might be so true of my sinful nature. Okay? But the Bible says that he works in me to will and to do of his good pleasure. The Bible says that the spirit that raised up Jesus from the dead is now in me. The spirit says that he's made all things new in me. I'm not going to hold on to that and let that thought and that truth about who I am in the old define who I am in Christ because it's not true anymore. I've been given newness of life. I've been convicted because I have this habit of calling myself stupid. My son will tell you because he's usually with me when I do it. You know, usually we're doing something and I'll forget a step and I'll say, oh, I'm so stupid. And, and I don't, I'm not like, a, oh, I'm pronouncing a curse on myself by saying that, you know, like, you know, but, but, but that's, but it's, but am I, am I stupid? You know, don't answer that. <laughs> it can go on and on and on. Okay, the action is you need to install a thought filter. Listen, Paul will say it another way in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. It's going to go up on the screen. He says this, he says, for though we walk in the flesh, we're living in this physical realm. We do not war or fight after the flesh, okay? In other words, we're, we're not in this thing, in this battle in the flesh. He says, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, fleshly, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. So here's what you're to do. He says, casting down imaginations. Imaginations are thoughts with pictures attached to them, images in your thoughts, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and listen, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. This thought, where is it coming from? Is this true of the old nature or the new nature? Is this from the world or is this actually true from God? And I am going to determine whether I believe this thought based upon what God says rather than based on what the world says or what my perception even says. And then he says, in having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. He says, for do you look on things after the outward appearance? 
Are you simply judging everything in life based on the internal structures of what you've seen and experienced on this earth? Are you judging according to what you can only see? If any man trusts himself that he is Christ, then let him of himself think this again, that as he is Christ, even so we are Christ. In other words, listen, you do not let your thoughts hold you captive to the things of this world. You listen to what God says about who you are, not what your thoughts say or anything else says. Okay, and here's why that matters. Because once you get down into verses 12 and 13, back in Romans chapter 8, and he says that we are debtors not to live after the flesh. He says, for if you live after the flesh, you will die. But if you through the spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you will live. Do you see those words, live after? He uses them twice. In verse 12, he says, live after the flesh. Verse 13, he says, live after the flesh. And the idea is you are either living after the flesh or you are living after the spirit. Do you, do you see the shift? There's a shift. Do you know what it was? It went from mind to life. Do you see it? Back in verse 5, those who mind earthly things, those who mind spiritual things. Now we're in verse 12, you live fleshly things, you live spiritual things. What does it mean? It means that your life is going to move in the direction of your strongest thoughts. That the way you let your mind define truth is going to translate into the direction your life goes. And if you are minding earthly things and letting earthly principles, earthly laws, earthly rules, sinful natures govern the way you think, then that is the direction that your life is going to go and you're going to see it continually descending. Your joy is going to diminish and you will ultimately die spiritually and maybe even physically. But if you let God renew your mind and you grab a hold of what he says is true and you make that truth because God says it's truth, then not only are you going to experience life in peace, but you are going to live according to the direction that those thoughts are taking you. Your life will move in the direction of your strongest thoughts. That's what he is saying. And every single moment you have a choice and it starts on the level of your thoughts. What are you thinking? That's why, one more verse in Romans, it's Romans chapter 12, verses one and two. You've probably heard this before. Listen to what Paul says. It's a little bit later in the book, but it's on the same line. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Surrender to God. Then verse two, watch this. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your what? Mind. Your mind, the way you think, the way you define reality. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Okay? You get to choose who or what you will yield to. And choice is consequence. So he says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Now, that's why the word of God is so important. That's why us pastors are always telling you to read your Bible, read your Bible, read your Bible, read your Bible, read your Bible. Because when you read your Bible, you're reading truth. And then truth is now the platform by which you can define your life. It's the net wherein you take your thoughts captive and let, let, let the net of the truth of God's word define and label your thoughts correctly. And it moves you in the proper direction. Your mind is renewed by the word. We call this cultivation. It's moving in the direction of the life that he has provided. It's lifting off of what this world says 
and it's living in the realm of what God says. Okay, now I want to give you the assessment. The action is to rewire your brain, let it be renewed, and then yield your thoughts to what God says, not what you think. Now I want to give you the assessment. And again, I'm going to summarize a whole big section of chapter 8 because we don't have time to read it, but we got to finish uh, this study. And I'm actually doing okay on time. Not perfect, okay on time. But how can you measure and how can you assess how much you're actually being cultivated? How do I know if I'm actually there? Am I, am I growing? Am I spiritually in line with him? Is it happening? There are seven things in chapter 8 of Romans, verses 14 through the end of the book, so the, the last whole section, seven things that Paul says, these things are going to be happening in your life if you're growing, if you are being cultivated spiritually. And here's what they are. I'll tell you the verse and then what it is. You can go back and read it later. But in verse 14, if you are being cultivated, then you will be increasingly led by God. You're going to be led by God. In other words, you're going to be able to look at your life and you'll be able to see, not oftentimes right in front of you, but you'll be able to look in the rearview mirror a couple of weeks, a couple of months, a couple of years, and you'll be able to say, hey, you know what? I've been, I'm being led by God. Like God's actually opening doors for me, and I'm seeing things happen in my life, and it's a result of God's work in my life. He's leading me. You're going to be led by God. Number two, in verse 15, the second mark that you're growing is that fear, fear of what? Fear of anything. Fear of failure, fear of crisis, fear on whatever level you experience fear. Fear will be increasingly overwhelmed by confidence. Fear will diminish because you'll recognize the presence of God's spirit in your life and that he's the one that's got your back. In verse 16, he gives you the third thing. The third mark is that there will be an increasingly deep conviction within you that you belong to God. He says that the spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. There's going to be an increasingly deep conviction that you belong to him. And no one's going to be able to have to ask you or you won't have to be like, is God in me? I'm not sure. You'll be growing in that. That's what Peter had where he was connecting with him and sensitive to him. He knew that he belonged to God. The fourth thing in verses 18 through 25, this one's huge. I mean, you should get saved for this if for nothing else. I mean, eternal life is a good deal too. <laughs> but this one in verses 18 through 25, a marker that you're, that you're cultivating, that you're growing, is that hope will remain in spite of suffering. Hope remains in spite of suffering. Bottom line is that everyone is suffering. In some way, at every point, we suffer. This world is filled with it. But when God is working in your life, the hope of what he's doing and who he is and the good that will come from it, that hope doesn't leave. So you can suffer, but in spite of that suffering, there's hope. The fifth thing given in verses 26 and 27 is that you'll recognize the help of God in overcoming your weaknesses. Because we all have weaknesses. I hope you guys don't think I don't have any. I've got, I've got plenty, just like you. And God is the one who helps us to overcome those weaknesses that we have, and we recognize it. We see, God, you've been with me. You're interceding for me. You're actually for me. You're not angry with me because I'm weak. You're moving in me and through me, and you're, you're moving me through my weakness, and you're helping me in spite of my weakness, and you're recognizing that as you're growing in him. The sixth thing in verses 28 through 34 is that the overall quality and enjoyment of your life, and I said overall, okay, overall, 
So you don't say I'm prosperity preaching or something, which I, I am maybe. Okay, but, but, but overall, the quality and enjoyment of your life is moving up and to the right. Am I got that right for you? I do, right? I'm going up and to my left. Yeah, it's going up. Meaning this, all right? It starts with that famous verse that all things work together for what? That's right. All things. That means that there are setbacks. There are down days. There are rough patches and times. There are dry seasons. But when you look at it zoomed out, you see that overall he's working it all together for the good and he is moving me forward. There's growth and there's progress in my life. And then finally in verses 35 through 39, the seventh marker that you are growing is that there is an increasing and unfailing sense of his love for you, that you know that he loves you. That's the part where Paul says that nothing will separate us from his love. Tribulation, persecution, nothing will separate us from his love. Okay, listen. You may, you're a Christian here tonight. I I believe that probably most of us are here on a Wednesday night, unless you strolled in off the street or someone drug you into the room, okay? What I know is that a lot of Christians are living on the wrong side of their soul. And I ask you this question tonight just to ask yourself. Are you yielding to your old nature or are you yielding to the newness of life that God has placed within you? Are you believing the things that this world says are true or are you captivating those thoughts and then rebranding them according to what God says is true? Which direction are you thinking? Which direction are you living? Are you trying too hard on your own and not allowing his spirit to do work within you? See, one of Paul's conclusions, it's in chapter 7, you'll see it there when you do your homework and you read it, is that he realized that he wasn't able to bring himself out of the old nature and into the new nature. That it was actually Jesus and the spirit of Jesus in him that was bringing him through the struggles and the difficulties and the defeats that he faced, that we also face, because it's part of it. I, I, I imagine, I wish I did this, I actually heard it, and I was trying to steal the illustration, but I'm just not good enough. Um, but I heard a guy who, um, he, he told one of his kids to move something that he knew they couldn't move. And he said to move it to, to another part of the house. And he told him, he said, you can use anything, anything at your disposal to do it, but you need to move that from here to here. And his kid couldn't do it, tried everything, tried every which way, couldn't do it. And then finally, the kid came and said, I just can't do it. And he said, I, I, I want you to do it. I told you to do it, move it. You can use anything you want. And the kid, in frustration, said, I tried, I've tried everything, I, do, I cannot move it. And then the dad looked at him, he said, but did you ask me? He said, I told you, you could use anything at your disposal. And there's so many of us that have just resigned to the bondage of living in the sinful nature and in the sinful worldly limited realm because we try so hard to do something on our own that's impossible for us to do on our own. See, you were not designed to be able to enter into this life on your own. You cannot. That's why Paul says in 7, Romans 7, he says, I praise God through Jesus Christ my Lord by whom I've obtained the victory. See, part of the cultivation is growing in the relationship. It's not doing it, it's not all by myself. Lord, I'm dependent on you. I'm walking with you. I'm living in you. I'm moving in you. Lord, do it in me. Lord, be purity in me. Lord, be patience in me. 
Lord, be love for my spouse and my children in me. God, mother through me. God, be diligent through me. God, enlarge my capacity in me. Carry the burden with me, in me. It's not me doing it. It's him in me doing it. That's how it's to be done. That's what he does, okay? If you are bound by the lower nature, you do not have much reason to hope in 2022, I will tell you that, because there are a lot of things mounting up against you. But if you are living in the newness of life, then you have no reason not to have hope in 2022. Because here's the promises of God. Let me read you a few of them. Revelation 3, 7, and 8. It's coming up on the screen. God says this. Jesus says to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write these things as he that is holy, he that is true, he that has the key of David, he that opens and no man shuts, and he shuts and no man opens. I know your works. God says this, behold, I have set before you an open door that no man can shut for you have a little strength and have kept my word and not denied my name. Do you know what God says about you right now? He says that he opens doors that no one can shut and he shuts doors that no one can open, which means that if God's declared that over your life, then you have every reason to hope right now that God's not done leading your life and prospering your life and developing your life to make it what it's supposed to be. Now, 2022 says that's not true. It says you're bound, the laws are changing, your freedoms are being taken, the world being taken over by communists. That's what the world says. But that's not what God says. Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, it's a good one. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. No, but I can't. Where is that coming from? You grab it captive and you say, no, that's not what God says. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. Paul says, and God is able to make all grace abound toward you that you always having all sufficiency in all things may abound unto every good work. You're not limited by what the world says you're limited by. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. I love this one. He says, if any man be in Christ, any human be in Christ, he is a new creature. Look, old things are passed away. Behold, what? How many? are become what? All things are become new, which means that you're not lazy. You're not worthless. You're not of limited capacity. Your best days are not behind you. You're not defined by what you are genetically or what you are naturally. You are defined by what Jesus is and by what Jesus is alone because he makes all things new. You can grab hold of whatever you want. You can believe your thoughts. You can believe your track record, or you can believe what God says. And you can reframe your mind accordingly. In Luke chapter 18, verse 27, last one. He says that he said, Jesus said, that the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. Now let me ask you, where's the limitation in that? (laughs) Father, I just thank you tonight for these things. And I just pray, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that we would become increasingly those that are fully cultivated to live in the realm of newness of life. We thank you, Lord, that you're the same God. You did it for Paul and you'll do it for us. And so right now, Lord, where we have succumbed and submitted to the limitations of the lower life, we repent of it and we ask you, Lord, for the grace to see ourselves in the greater picture of your death and resurrection. Would you help us, Lord, to realize that you did not just die on a cross so that we could be saved when we die 
but that you've given us the spirit of your resurrection now that we're citizens of heaven. And would you give us the grace to live within only the limitations of your truth. Help us, Lord, to be connected to you. Help us to be hearing you. Help us to be sensitive to your spirit, to your promptings, to your word, to the visions that you want to give, to your leading, to what you're lifting us into. Help us to hear your voice. Help us to follow and obey, Lord, what you're asking us to do. And that we would realize the trueness of our identity in you. So we commit ourselves to you tonight. We thank you, Lord, for these things. We pray that you would continue to let this word speak to us in the coming days. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. Thanks for joining us for the Pastor Nick Santo podcast. To regularly receive these teachings, be sure to subscribe so you can get it automatically when it's released. If you find this material helpful, please share it and help us get the message of Jesus out to others. We also appreciate your feedback, so if you would, leave us a review in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts, or email us at pastor.nickpc at gmail.com. Until next time, may you continue to love, learn, and live the way of Jesus.